We uh, had a beautiful, beautiful celebration of the Path of Kriya Yoga last night. And we had probably over 360 people at the various Kriya initiations. And 24 gallons of Babaji drink was served. <laughs> so, <clears throat> And I'd like to thank Sahaja and an extraordinary and numerous group of volunteers that helped all of this actually happen in a very calm, deep, joyful way. People sometimes think that I have some responsibility for organizing it, but I feel like a fraud when I hear that because, uh, well, Maria can tell you how organized I really am. <laughs> but it's also a great blessing for everyone. I think I know many people who don't attend Kriya ceremonies and who are in tune with our masters and feel a great blessing on a night of a Kriya initiation because it's a really sacred and powerful step and you really feel the power of this spiritual tradition on an evening like that. So again, this whole week in a way, today we're talking about Kriya Yoga, the religion of the new age. But really this whole week, everything we've heard this week is really the path of Kriya Yoga. We sometimes and often think that Kriya Yoga is just this technique. But Kriya Yoga is this entire package that we've all been talking about. Every speaker this week has really been talking about the path of Kriya Yoga and all the different parts of it. And the technique itself is just sort of the, I don't know if it's the icing on the cake or a key part of it, but it's all part of a package that when you put it all together, it's extraordinarily powerful in its ability to change your life and change you and transform you beyond your expectancy and imagination over the years. At the end of a week like this, I think everyone feels really ready to fight the battle of life and our karma again. We feel about 20 feet tall and really strong and we've got armor and weapons and everything. And for whether you're living here or whether you're going far away, it really helps to understand why we feel this way at the end of a week like this. The essence of the Bhagavad Gita, Swamiji's uh, writings on Yogananda's interpretation of the Gita, really talks about the spiritual path as a battlefield and a spiritual battle. And what we've been given this week are all the accoutrements and weapons and everything you need to fight this battle. And so as you go home, wherever you're going or whether it's here, and you start feeling less than 20 feet tall and maybe a little bit less strong, try to understand what these things are and these things that we've been given. There are several things that you can really try to not just take home with you that you've gotten this week, but really nurture and keep fed and keep alive. And if you're conscious of it, you can keep it alive and keep it going over the years and just strengthen it and make it larger and more powerful. As Yogananda said about deepening your joy in meditation, he talked about this joy as oft puffed by meditation deep. And so if you puff it, in meditation with the Kriya breath and with your devotion and you keep fanning these flames that you will all feel here this week, it will just burst into, as he said, immortal flames of bliss over time. And this isn't just a promise, it's a reality. We've seen it in so many lives of so many people all over the world who take up these teachings and practice them and take them very deep into their hearts and very deep into their lives. Some of the things that we have and that we've been given one of them, and the most obvious one, but also really not necessarily the most important one, but it's the techniques of the path of Kriya Yoga. 
There's four techniques that we have, the Hong Sa technique, energization exercises, Ohm technique, and the Kriya technique. And we sometimes just look at these, in a way they're, they're the weapons that we have for fighting the battle of life. Too often we look at them as just techniques in a technical way. One time at a Kriya initiation, and this is the only time I've ever heard Swami Kriyananda talk about it in this way, he said that each of these four techniques actually is a way of communing with an aspect of God. The Hindu scriptures talk about eight aspects of God that you can commune with. And so these four techniques, each one of them has a particular aspect of God that it communes with. The first three are kind of obvious. And I'll get to the last one, the Kriya technique last. But the energization exercises. Obviously, it's tuning into God as energy and power. When you practice these things, try to think that you're not practicing a technique. We think, well, people sometimes resist doing the energization exercises, and you think of them as exercises. Think of it as communing with God, as infinite energy and infinite power instead. If you're going to go out and do the exercises, tell your friend, your spouse, or yourself, I'm going to go out and commune with God as infinite energy and power. I had an experience. It was at a, it was at a week just like this. It was a, I don't know if it was a winter renewal week. It may have been a, a winter or a spiritual renewal week. I was preparing a class and a talk, and this was many years ago, about 25 or 30 years ago. And I called up Prakash, who we were planning this talk that we were giving together. And it was right in the middle of a very intense electrical thunderstorm, probably the worst I've ever seen in all my years at Ananda. In those days, the, the phones had cords, remember, that <laughs> attached to the phone, and the phone actually had a cord that going into the wall and went up into the trees. And, and growing up, my mother always told me, now, you never talk on the phone in a, a thunderstorm. Remember that. So there I was talking to Prakash, and it was just tremendous thunder and lightning and explosion. And suddenly there was just a brilliant white flash, and the crack and the explosion of thunder all happened at the same time. And the electricity went right down the phone wires and sent me flying across the room. Now, Prakash got knocked out by it. And... Uh, after I came to my senses, you might think that I was just the victim of bad luck, but you'll see soon that it was actually just the sheerest, most utmost stupidity <laughs> that I was responsible, and almost divinely inspired on that level, because uh, I picked up the phone again. Because <clears throat> I wanted to see how Prakash was doing, if he was okay. And, and somehow, that phone hadn't gotten affected. Other phones actually in the area were fried on the inside, maybe because this one was off the hook and was inside my head sending <laughs> jolts to me. Before I could even think, there was another boom, loud explosion. And I had to spend about the next half hour just laughing because I thought, Divine Mother really protects her very, very foolish devotees, doesn't she? But I also, when I practice the energization exercises sometimes, Rather than thinking of it as a technique, we have these exercises and all these things to remember and things to do, I think of it as just plugging into that extraordinary power that I felt when Divine Mother was saying, good morning, Devashi, here, here I am, and feel God as power. Commune with God as energy and power when you do those exercises. The Hong Sa technique. Again, we use the word technique. Try to get over this thought that we're doing techniques. We're communing with God as divine peace. Try to remember the 
grand, greatest experience of peace you've ever had in meditation and bring that to your meditation and to your practice of Hong Sa. We're not just doing a mantra and watching the breath and trying to get over restless thoughts. Feel yourself and go right into it with this thought. I'm communing with God in the aspect of divine peace. The Om technique. We're communing with God, obviously, as divine sound and divine vibration. And try again. People get a little bored or restless with that technique and they don't hear things or they don't hear what they expect and they keep trying. And rather than thinking of it again as just sounds you're trying to hear, you're actually worshiping, communing with, immersing yourself in divine vibration and the divine vibration of Divine Mother. Yogananda said to practice it with devotion and with reverence. And when we can bring this inner communion even to our techniques, we find that we start bringing it to every aspect of our life. And we also find that we are really, really changed the more we commune with these aspects of God as energy and power, as deep, deep peace, as divine vibration. And we'll find that when you do this for some time, for months and a year or more, that when you add the Kriya technique, you really do it with that power and you do it with depth and you do it with peace and you do it tuning into God as Om and as vibration and you really get the full benefits of all these things not just when you do them technically right, but more so when you do them with this deep spirit of divine inner communion. So these techniques, in a sense, are the tools that we've been given to fight the battle. Take them home, nurture them, practice them, work with them. As spiritual warriors, we've also been given an extraordinary training, not just this week, but all these teachings that we have, the, the philosophy, the understanding of them, in a sense is warriors training and understanding how to use these tools and, and how to fight and win this battle. So read Swamiji's books. Read especially The Essence of the Bhagavad Gita. He's really very strongly recommends that book to people as really the core book to understanding what this life is about, how to overcome, and how to reach victory. Attitudes are another one, and we've all heard so many wonderful stories this week from our teachers, and we understand that really right attitude as uh, Swamiji has said one time, is really what keeps people on the spiritual path. It keeps us from drifting away. Work on that, nurture that, feed that. Another one that we've all experienced this entire week is just the power of spiritual fellowship, of satsang, of being with fellow devotees. It's almost like being on a battlefield and looking around, and you're not alone. There's Ananta to your left. There's Dharmadas to your right. There's all these other great devotees and, and warriors and friends supporting you, supporting your own efforts, encouraging you, watching your back, telling you, watch out, here comes some delusion, or maybe even correcting you if you're getting astray too far. Feed that. Even if you're going home away from Ananda, stay in touch. Watch the, the, the uh, videos on the Ananda website. Stay in touch with your dear friends. I had this uh, thought many years ago where I was reading about or hearing about what Yogananda was saying about how there was terrible cataclysms coming and they haven't come yet, so be prepared. And I was wondering and thinking, well, what would I do if I was with some Ananda friends and this big cataclysm came and we all got our checkout orders right then and there and went off to the astral plane. And I just had this sort of a humorous way of looking at it, but there was some truth to it. I thought, well, what would I do? And I thought, okay, I'm 
as we're all heading up to the pearly gates, and there's probably going to be a really long line there, people <laughs> checking in to see whether they go up or whether they go down. I thought, I'm going to find Jotish or Ananta or one of these guys and sidle up next to them, and when we get to St. Peter, I'm just going to say, I'm with him. <laughs> so, but you know, there's really a divine truth to that. When we live with God, we serve with each other, we have these deep connections, but more importantly, when we have this divine connection with them, we can go up there and we can say, I'm with them, and they'll take us and they'll bring us home and develop that relationship. Jochish pointed out that yesterday, that it's almost, the, as he put it, the most powerful, deeply poignant and spiritual moment in any great scripture, in any great story, is when Arjuna chose Krishna, rather than all of Krishna's armies, weapons, the elephants, and everything like that. He just chose the guru. And when he made that decision of choosing the guru, the victory was assured at that very moment. And so for each and every one of us, when we choose to align ourselves with these great masters, and also by extension with each other, because we're all doing this together and we can also do it through each other because each one of us carries some of that inspiration and power of the guru. And when we do that together, victory is assured. When you take it home, you know, I tell people, we hear about group meditation versus meditating by yourself. And every meditation, if you want it to be, can be a group meditation. You can invite all five of them, sit all around you, feel them, visualize them with you, and their power will be added to your own efforts in your meditation, but also in your daily life. In all these things that we've been talking about, our attitudes, our techniques, everything that we do, if we bring the guru into it, we have extraordinary addition of their divine power, their support, their strength. And when you make that one decision, that's probably the one decision in life, and Arjuna his story is representative of that. Make that decision every moment. If you choose the guru, and as Arjuna did, sit at the feet of the guru and look up to him, if you make that decision every moment, every day, every meditation, every time you have an important decision, you'll find that victory is assured. It doesn't mean that you're not going to lose some brutal battles along the way. You read the Mahabharata and any great victory by forces of light and dharma you'll find that they all lose some terrible battles, losing friends, arms, limbs, just totally coming home at the end of the day, and they seemingly have lost everything. That's going to happen. That's fine. But as long as you choose the Guru and stay with that, your victory and our victory is assured. Stay with them and be with them, and you'll find that everything else works. And that's really, in a sense, what's made Ananda work over the years is their power added to our own efforts, is what's really made this a truly miraculous place. There's one more technique that Swami, at this Kriya initiation he talked about, and the quality of that technique. And it, he talked about the Kriya technique as having also a very, very specific attunement and worship and communion with a very particular aspect of God. The first three are kind of obvious, energization, energy, Hong Sa, peace, Om technique, vibration. He said the Kriya technique, and really, if you think about it, 
by extension, the entire path of Kriya Yoga specifically tunes into God as divine bliss, as divine joy. And when you practice that technique, if you don't have the technique, you're still a Kriya Yogi on the path of Kriya Yoga, but with that technique, feel not just energy as just some sort of impersonal energy that doesn't have a quality. It has a very particular quality. It has a very particular aspect of God as divine bliss. And feel divine bliss coursing up and down your spine, not just some impersonal energy that doesn't have a life to it. And with the path of Kriya Yoga, that's also very particular to all of us, to what we're following here. The very name of this place, Ananda, means divine bliss. One time somebody asked Swamiji, what is the goal of Ananda? What's its big mission? And they were thinking in grandiose terms that he was going to talk all about Ananda's big mission and everything, and they were being maybe overly serious. And Swamiji said, partly seriously, but half seriously and half joking, but he said, the goal of Ananda is to have fun. And he meant this, and then he added on to it that he wasn't just speaking lightly. The goal of Ananda is to feel divine joy. One time Swamiji said something that really struck home to me because it really has influenced a lot of the ways that I work with all these practices and all these teachings. Because we often hear that Ananda, Satchitananda, ever-conscious, ever-existing divine joy is the goal of our lives. And Swamiji said, no, Ananda isn't the goal. Divine joy is not the goal. He said, divine joy is the solution. And you see this over the years at Ananda. You see so much divine joy here. It's, uh, I like to tell people that there's an infectious disease here at Ananda. And if you come here, you're going to catch it. And it's divine bliss because it is catching. And if you're feeling a little down or you really want to get the full dose of it, sidle up to someone here who has a very advanced stage of the disease of divine joy and get close to them and you don't have to maybe have them cough on you. Maybe they can just laugh with you. But feel that divine bliss. It is. Yogananda and the Indian scriptures say, one moment in the company of a saint can be your raft across the ocean of delusion. And part of the truth and why that's true is that one moment of just experiencing the depth and the power of divine bliss in the company of someone who has it to that extent can change your life. It can infect you with that joy. It can go deep inside and utterly change you because it changes you on a, almost on a molecular level. It really does infect you. And so one of the answers to the problems that many devotees have of maybe your efforts waning and the joy going away, come back to Ananda, to a Ananda Center, find a spiritual friend who has some of that infection that's always kind of alive in them, that is very active and spreading, catch on to it and get some more of it and really be in that vibration because we really all at various times need to be in that vibration of joy to really nurture and awaken our own divine joy because let's face it, we all get battered by our karma, by the tests of life. But you'll see that joy is the solution. You see the joy on many people's at, at people at Ananda and the joy in their faces and the joy in their lives. And someone who doesn't know any better might look at this and think, well, these people have just, they have great lives. You know, look how nice it is here. And it is very nice. You know, they must just have really nice and comfortable, easy lives. Well, it isn't that actually, in fact. But you see 
joy on people's faces who are going through extraordinary tests. I've seen someone in the very, very last stages uh, of their life, you know, getting ready to go to the other side, and, you know, in great physical difficulties, about the most extreme you could imagine, singing a song of divine joy of Swami Kriyananda, just spontaneously, because they were feeling divine joy. We had a wonderful example of this, uh, how this really works. We had a great soul who's passed on. Her name was Happy Winningham. And she struggled for many years near the end of her life with AIDS and different diseases that were all associated with that. And one time she was in the hospital and people, the nurses, the doctors, had pretty much given her up for lost. And the, they were frantically trying to revive her and put an IV in her. And this is all told in a wonderful book I'd really like to recommend by Asha. It's called Swami Kriyananda as we have known him. Because many people here haven't had a chance to really spend time with Swamiji and see how to live in divine joy and how to live these teachings. That book is priceless for all the stories and all the ways that we can all respond to life with divine joy. And in this case, Happy was there on her deathbed and people were chanting Om and one Ananda person there blessed them, started doing a guided out loud visualization of guiding her into the astral light to go to the other side. It was that extreme. And all her life force was withdrawing and her arms and legs had all turned purple because there was no life force there. And, and even her nose was bright purple just from all the blood going away. And there was a lot of frantic activity of everyone trying to deal with this. And she also said that she was somewhat conscious of what was going on and she was also somewhat frantically trying to deal with it and getting ready to go. And Swami Kriyananda came along at that very moment because he had been called. And typically you think of someone coming in wearing the dark, heavy robes to administer the last rites in Latin and talking very <laughs> seriously and portentously. And he kind of, Swamiji, got in between the nurses and the doctors who were all around her trying to fix her. And he just looked at her very peacefully, very calmly, and with a great deal of joy. And this is an example of joy as the solution. He just looked at Happy, who was conscious enough to see Swamiji and hear him, and he looked at this bright nose, and he said, Happy, you look just like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> and Happy says that at that moment, everything changed. Everything got calm. She felt the life force come into her. She felt joy coming into her. She felt life coming back to her, and she came back to life. Now, how many doctors would recommend that <laughs> that is the antidote to someone's problems? But in fact, joy is the solution. It is the antidote, divine bliss, ananda, to all of our problems. No matter what you're going through, try to understand that that really is what we are made of. It's where we came from. In the poem, Samadhi, which if you read that poem, so much of it is about divine joy. And one line in that is, from joy I came, in joy I live, in sacred joy I knelt again. And so, it is who and what we really are. It's where we came from. It's where we are. It's where we're going. It's not anything we have to find outside of ourselves. It's not anything we have to achieve. All we have to do is try to tune into it and listen to it. And you'll find, and you see this in the lives of so many people at Ananda who have gone through so many tests. And even Ananda as a community, we've had times where, you know, Ananda's very existence was threatened by 
you know, lawsuits and different things. And we've had these meetings where it was very, very serious in terms of the impact of it and what, what could possibly happen. And there was just so much laughter at times and so much joy that someone looking in at what we were doing and what we were talking about and how we were laughing would think we were all crazy. And we probably are all crazy, but it's because we understand that joy is the solution. Practice these techniques. Swamiji has said practice all the techniques that we do with a sense of joy, not with a sense of if I do enough grim, determinated Kriya practice and energization exercises and all these things, someday I'll get divine joy. That's not the way to go about it. Practice with joy, feel joy. If you really listen, you can always find it. And really the way to really get changed is just coming back to the real power, is tuning in to these gurus, making that decision. There's a beautiful photograph of Yogananda where he just has this radiant smile and almost light coming out of him that I just really love because it represents him expressing divine bliss and divine joy. And really try to take the power of the guru, the guru's magnetism, develop that relationship, and you'll find that he, in a sense, as he put it, the charcoal doesn't get hot all by itself. He says it needs other heart, ha, hot red uh, embers around it that eventually get that charcoal red hot and starting to burst into flame. And so we, no matter where we are, we always have somebody that we can sit with, talk to, go with, tune into their joy, and that is our gurus. Whether you're by yourself out in the middle of nowhere, whether you're here, that really is the spiritual power that really enlivens and will bring you home in the end. As I was saying earlier, when we develop that relationship with the Guru, we can honestly say, when the time comes, I'm with him. But in fact, Yogananda said that for those who are true and loyal to the end, he said that the Gurus will be there to bring them to the other side. And I was actually listening to a recording of him where he's talked about that, and he actually added something else. It's not just being loyal to the end and kind of being die-hard loyalist and you know, signing your loyal, loyalty oath and putting it in your wallet, and that's it. He said, those who are true and loyal and deeper, he said with his resounding, booming voice. So deepen that relationship with the Guru, always, every moment if you can. As one of our teachers said, chant Om Guru all during the day. Develop that relationship. Follow him. Do what he says. Sometimes it can be uncomfortable. He'll ask us to do things that may be difficult, uncomfortable, or annoying, like doing the energization exercises every day, for example. But follow him. Do what he says. Go deeper and deeper into that relationship. And at the end of life, you're not going to have to say and look around for Yogananda and say, I'm with him. In fact, Yogananda and our gurus are going to grab your hand and say to St. Peter, to the Lord, he's with me, and she's with me, and they're all with me. So align yourself to that power. That's really what's going to free all of us in the end. All these other things, work with that and make it possible and deepen it. But in the end, that one decision of going with the guru, but not just making that decision once, but every day, every moment, every time you make that choice, your victory is assured on this battle of life, which many have won, 
through the power of these gurus and through these teachings. So good luck to everyone with these practices, whether here or going home somewhere far away, or even just starting on these things. Just making that choice to get started, whether you're into it a month or 30 years, your victory is assured as long as you stay on that course. So blessings to everyone.